0: So far in 1 Corinthians, we've talked about a lot of issues, how we see pastors, how we view ministry. The last three weeks, we talked about sex and marriage and singleness, um, And but for the next four or five weeks, we're in the biggest section of 1 Corinthians, from chapter 8 all the way to 14, and it's going to answer the question, how do I live a life of love in the context of a local Christian community? And today, uh, we're specifically going to talk about how do I exercise my legitimate God given rights in love. The, the Corinthians uh, understand their rights, but they are abusing them uh, to the neglect of other people in the church. So let's let's hear. The, the, the issue on the surface is going to be a little strange. First Corinthians 8. Alright, we're reading all the way to the end of chapter 9. I'd encourage you to pay close attention. Chapter 8 is about what Paul wants them to do. And chapter 9, Paul's life as a model. <laughs> Indeed, there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on my own authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned does he not certainly speak for our sake it was written for our sake the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop if we have sown spiritual things among you is it too much if we reap material things from you if others share this rightful claim on you do we not even more nevertheless we have not made use of this right but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. <coughs> Thanks for your attention. Let's pray. Thank you. Um, that you speak to us through, our, through your word, and that you, um, that what was such a big issue in the ancient church has come to us for our benefit and our good. Pray, help us just to examine ourselves this morning and uh, indeed to lay down our rights in love for our brothers and sisters. Do that by the Spirit of Amen. Think about uh, a Christian who leaves their church of 20 years because their church stops doing something they really loved. Think about a young adult who refuses to be a part of a church unless they both have contemporary worship and a ministry dedicated to young adults. Think about a seminary student who breaks their old-timey Southern Baptist seminary's strict non-alcohol policy because they don't agree with it. They just want to practice their Christian freedom. Think about... The Christian girl or guy who told when the way they dress might cause someone to stumble basically says, I am not responsible for other people's lack of self-control. What do all these people have in common? They are Christians who insist on their personal rights. They're insisting on their right to worship the way they please, to serve the way they please, to be around people like them, to dress the way they want to, to eat and drink the things they want to drink. Um, all, and all these rights are, are God-given. They're true. But what they also have in common is all of these people in exercising their rights, they are as callous as Cain in Genesis 4, whom after he killed his brother said to God, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer uh, this passage says this morning is yes, you are your brother's keeper. You are responsible before God to the lives of people around you, even the people who have wrong views about secondary issues, even people who are wrong and if you embraced if you if you did what they wish you to do, it would really hinder your life and make it more inconvenient you 're responsible for them and this uh this seems uh very strange and against all of our inclinations and assumptions uh, but as we as we kind of walk through this passage and kind of get through the cultural issues, we're going to see that that laying your rights down in love is a beautiful thing. It's beautiful in God's sight. It looks just like Jesus. So first, uh, see that some of the Corinthians were technically right about their rights. They were right about this big cultural issue, whether they could eat food offered to idols. Uh, Let's just jump there, and I'll try to explain the big deal about this. Okay, look at verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols... You can translate it, food associated with idols. It's also in verse 4. As to the eating of food offered to idols. The, so the issues here is, again, this is ancient Rome, 2,000 years ago. All right, They had a pantheon of gods, multiple gods. And one of the practices they did all the time in Rome is they would have feast to the gods. They'd get all this food together, like I think a big Thanksgiving banquet, okay? um, which they didn't have back then much. And they would pray, and they would dedicate it to Zeus. And then they'd all eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, sometimes the rich, uh, as their service to one of their gods, okay, they would dedicate you know, all of their food to Apollos, and then they would serve the poor with this food dedicated to Apollos. Sometimes even butchers in the meat markets, before they sold their food, uh, would dedicate it to one of their idols. And this sounds really far away from America, right? This, the, the, the baggers at Harris Teeter are not doing this, okay? I promise. <laughs> Don't worry about it, okay? Uh, but... Um, I was watching a, a show on the Food Network. This is kind of a sidebar, but I was watching a show on the Food Network, and uh, it was about this guy who travels all over the world and eats. And he was in a restaurant in India, and he went uh, in the back in the kitchen there, and they got all the food ready for this big table. And then, before they served it, they offered it up to Krishna. So, what's interesting about this passage is even though in America we're like, whatever, this might be the most important passage a Hindi church goes to in First Corinthians. Think about that. The Bible is a worldwide book. Uh, But it, of course, applies to us. Um, Let me try to give you a modern-day parallel of what it would be like if some weak people in our church couldn't handle an aspect of our culture. All right? Um, Imagine if tomorrow some people in your local congregation decided that since uh, all media must be tainted with the evil American worldview and so much of it is just immoral and all the things, that it is wrong for a Christian to use media. It's wrong to watch TV, it's wrong to Netflix, it's wrong to use a smartphone, okay? It's wrong to, I don't know, be in, a, be in someone's house when they're watching TV. And if you did those things, you would cause them to stumble. Imagine how difficult it would be to bow to their wishes, Right? I mean, most, most of you guys would immediately leave that church. They are so stupid. Oh, my gosh. Let me tell you this story about the last church I was at, okay? They wouldn't let me watch Netflix. That's crazy. They were legalistic, right? I was out of there. Um, that's, that's, that's how big the issue is. If you're in Corinth and you can't eat food offered to idols, you can't participate in public life. You, you can barely go to the grocery store. And so some Corinthians, trying to escape... Uh, the burden of these dumb, weak people have bad biblical views, okay? They were saying, no, 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 guys. Idols aren't real, okay? We have a right to eat whatever food we want to eat. Look at, uh, look at verse, uh, verse 1 and 2. Concerning food offered to idols, we know that we all, ha- we all possess knowledge. This knowledge um, is in verse 4. Notice how Paul's quoting them, what they said to him. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. Uh, there is no God but one, and notice that Paul agrees. The Corinthians are right; technically, they're on point here. He says in verse uh, verse six, "For us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. And if I had time, we could just spend the entirety of our Sunday on verse six and talk about the Trinity. you will see that? One God, and the one God is the Father and the Son and they have different roles. That's just really cool. It's all over the Bible. You can't escape it. It's so good. But uh, the big the point of this is that Paul agrees with the Corinthians. They are technically right about their right to eat food offered to idols. But, look what they were doing in verse 7. There were some in the congregation who did not get it, who through former association with these gods, eat it, eat food as if they really were worshipping a pagan god. And look at... Uh, Look at verse 11. Here, here's the result of the Corinthians enjoying food offered to idols. By your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. So the Corinthians are insisting on their rights. They are, they are right in what they're saying, but what they're doing is destroying other people in the congregation. They're actually and enjoying this thing they think they have the right to do. All right, they're preying upon the weak. And truly this is a terrible thing, right? It's worse, okay, to push over someone in a wheelchair than someone who can stand up, right? It's surely it's worse to yell at a child than at a peer. That's what the Corinthians are doing here. They're, they're abusing the weak for the sake of their rights. But unless you're gonna be a missionary in India, uh, it doesn't seem to be a very relevant issue on its surface food offered to idols. But here's, here's the principle in this text that I think just has great relevance to us today. I'll say it twice, all right? Here's a principle. A life of love surrenders its rights for the sake of others. I'll say it one more time. A life of love surrenders its rights for the sake of others. As Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds Just chew on this for a second, okay? There's there's a reason there's some uncomfortable feelings in this room right now, and it's because, as an American, you have been told since the day you were born to insist upon your personal freedoms. We live in the land of the free, right? You do what you want. So who here watched Disney movies growing up? Okay, almost everyone. Good, I'm glad, okay? I have been reintroduced to Disney movies since I have uh, a daughter, and uh, her favorite Disney movie right now is Mufon, also known as Mulan, which is just... Just hilarious, man. Two-year-olds are funny, I love them. Uh, but, okay, here's the basic plot of a Disney princess movie, all right? At least, at least Mulan, Moana, Aladdin, whatever. Here's it's plot, okay? Your parents are stupid, and your community's expectations of you are wrong, so just do whatever's in your heart, and things will work out, okay? And Mulan, she was supposed to be a calm, nice, obedient girl but she wanted to go fight battles and save her dad. So she does what she wants. She defies her parents and meets expectations. Things work out, all right? Uh, we were even, uh, this morning, we were trying to, in a hurry, if you can imagine that on daylight savings time, we were in a rush. So we, uh, we were just letting our girls listen to uh, Disney princess songs, and the Mulan song came on. Uh, but here, here are the lyrics, all right? Mul- uh, uh, Moana, sorry, Moana's parents want her to stay in the island and be the chief, okay, and lead her people, all right? All um, right. And she wants to go out on the ocean. Right? And here's, here's some lyrics from the little song she sings. This beautiful song that, da-da-da. Anyways, I, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to sing it, OK? But here she goes, here she goes, here she goes. I can lead with pride. I can make us strong. I can do what's right if I play along. But the voice inside sings a different song. And you know how the movie goes, right? The voice inside wins. Her community's expectations of her, her parents' expectations, they're wrong you got to do you, right? That's, that's, the, that's the plot of Disney movies. you got to do you, and everything will work out. Here's the thing. You guys have been ingrained, I have been ingrained, to insist upon your personal rights since the day you started watching Disney. Okay? It's just just be yourself, and everything works out wonderfully. Okay? And, and this is hard to uproot in us. Um, but I, I want to walk through just a couple of concrete examples of... How love surrenders its life, perhaps in a 21st century church. And we'll start close to Corinth and we'll get a little further away. But think about alcohol and tobacco. All right. I will preach on and insist upon a Christian's right and freedom to use alcohol and tobacco. If you think alcohol is evil, just go to 1 Timothy 5. Hey Timothy, I want you to use a little bit of wine with your water for the sake of your stomach. Paul says that. Timothy, stop drinking just water, use some wine, okay, man. Um Jesus, you know, Jesus drank wine, all right, it's obviously not a sinful substance, but there are some Christians who either desperately struggle with abusing alcohol or who wrongly think that alcohol itself is sinful. And this passage says, for both of those kinds of people, we should lay down our rights to drink and smoke in love. If you, like, so, so on retreats, whenever we go out, okay, we don't ever have alcohol at ECBC functions. When we go on retreats, I ask the group to not drink at all on the, on the weekend. And the reason why is we, we protect people. We want to protect people who really struggle with alcohol and people who have wrong beliefs about alcohol. The first one's easy, right? brother who's struggling. The second one, we're like, they're legalistic, you know? This passage says, for the weaker brother you lay down your rights in love. Um, A little further from Corinth, maybe a little closer to America, think about uh, the way we dress and present ourselves. I'll start with a funny story. Maybe it'll help. Uh, We were on fall retreat. And it wasn't very fally. It was like 78 the whole weekend, and so uh, I spent most of the weekend in my favorite clothes, uh, which include sandals called chacos. Okay, and they're, uh, they're these open-toed sandals. And we the, the weekend went really well, and we were doing some like wrap-up comments. And uh, Chelsea, who will remain nameless, Chelsea, uh, she uh, she comes up to me, and I think she's partly joking and partly serious, and she said, Leland. Uh, L- Leland, uh, I've been so blessed by this trip, all these nice things, but I really had, I really had trouble listening to you when you were wearing Chacos. Like, it, it was a stumbling block. Your feet are so hideous, okay, that it was a stumbling block to me. I don't know if you said it that way. A- anyways, anyways, we can talk about it later. She can tell her side of the story. It's fine, okay? But seriously, this passage says, all right, if the Chacos have to go, they have to go. Something as simple as the clothes I wear. A- amen. Okay? A- my first amen in my whole time in the church. Amen, okay? If, if, if the Chacos have to go, they have to go. And guys, guys, this is about to get real personal, okay? Think, think about the issue of modesty, all right? Me, me and Sarah did high school ministry for years, and the girls were like, it is not my responsibility if the guys can't control their eyes. It's actually, yes, it is. You should dress to protect a weaker person. Think about this, guys. Do you, it's not just girls, too. Do you guys, do you guys know why, why I dress like this? Okay, guys, if I, if I had my way, it would be Chacos and a knit T-shirt every Sunday, okay? But I dress like this because there are people in our church who could not handle a pastor not having a jacket and a button down on Sundays. I get up to the, the offertory prayer. None of you guys would notice, right? You don't care, okay? But there would be 30 or 40 people in the room who would just be like, Ugh. the moment I, they saw me. <laughs> sandals at church, like, oh. No reverence for God. You know, whatever. And, and, and just for their sake, I dress like this. And that, that's what love requires. Even something as simple as the way you dress. And I'll extend it a little bit more, this application. Um, surely, if Paul would call us to lay down our legitimate God-given rights in love, surely he calls us to lay down our personal preferences about church life in love. Everybody here has preferences. Preferences are a good thing. Everyone here has personal preferences on the worship style of the church, on the way that ministries are designed, on how we do things. They're all good, okay? And I could, you know, preferences are great things. But the moment they hinder my life in the church, the moment my preferences went over on the community's needs, they need to be laid down. Guys, if, if tomorrow East Cooper Baptist went to traditional worship only or whatever your least favorite is, okay, all right, I would, I would encourage, not command, encourage all of you to stay. You, you can thrive. If you go with the right heart, you can thrive at any church that loves Jesus and worships him and preaches the Bible and talks about the gospel. Any church. doesn't matter what the context is. If you, go, if you went across the, across the nations and they sung monk hymns for worship, you could thrive there. Love requires that we lay down our preferences. Guys, and I know a lot of people that make their personal preferences their personal convictions. I've had people in this church who I dearly love, like, bloody face angry at me because something they wanted was not going to happen. They preferred it would happen and it wasn't going to happen. And they were just, <clears throat> and we're, we're tempted to hold on to those things. We've been taught that. So that's the demand of this passage that we lay down our lives and our rights, and our preferences out of love, especially out of love for the weak, whether they're weak in their temptations or they're weak in their convictions. And this is not a fun thing. It's not something we long to do. It's something that's against our natures. But have you ever noticed how sacrifice is beautiful when other people are doing it? Um, I think one of the most redeeming things about Hurricane Harvey was... uh, the pictures of people that are doing wonderful things. There was this one iconic picture from Hurricane Harvey in Texas where there was this guy knee-deep in water, water for miles behind him, carrying this woman and her baby to safety, presumably. I, and they didn't know if it was a girlfriend, wife, random stranger. I have no idea. But there's a guy carrying this, and it's just wonderful, you know? But I want you to think about his experience for a second. If you ever walked in knee-deep water, Okay, it's not really the easiest thing to do. And uh, I Googled, okay, the average weight of a woman in America is 150 pounds. Even if she's way lighter than that, okay? Guys, holding that like this for like 15 minutes, that's miserable, okay? It's heroic, but it's miserable. You know, you know how he feels? Bicep burning. This is the worst workout of my life. I want to die. That's how he feels. When he, that's, what the, that's the caption of the picture. I feel like my arms are going to explode, okay? Um, but, in, but, but objectively, that sacrifice is beautiful, and so all of chapter 9, all right, is about how a life that lays down its rights is a beautiful thing. It reflects Jesus. It's useful for him. Paul, Paul kind of waxes eloquent about his life. So look at, uh, look at uh, chapter 9. We start off with all of the rights that the apostle Paul has. And if the Christianity had a hierarchy, if we had like a chain of command, we don't, okay? Of a very democratic religion, but uh, if Christianity did apostles would be at the top, all right? Paul himself, look at this, uh, this is the, uh, the middle of verse 9, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? He has seen the risen Christ. If anybody has rights, it's Paul. Look at his rights, uh, verse 4, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Yes, we do. Verse 5, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as the other apostles do? Um, Again, we talked about singleness two weeks ago. Paul didn't always enjoy singleness. In fact, it was a sacrifice for him. All right? He had the right to have a believing wife. Verse 6 is the biggest one, that he goes on for, for about seven or eight verses. Is It only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living. Paul was not paid for his ministry. He, he would do apostolic ministry while working other jobs. And uh, he goes on for about six verses, and he proves that it is an apostle's right, a pastor's right to get paid. Look at verse 9. It is written, in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? It's certainly speak for our sake, for the sake of the apostles, for pastors. Notice the balance here. Paul insists that these rites are true that believers have the right to get married, that they have the right to eat whatever they want, that, they have the, that pastors have the right to get paid. He insists on these rights, but he immediately lays them down when necessary, out of love. Look what he's done, in spite of all of his rights. Look at verse 12. the second, a little where the new paragraph starts. We have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Look at verse 15. I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any provision. Here's the reason, verse 19. For though I am free from all, but in the gospel I am free from everybody, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Verse 22, here's, here's what it results in the weak. I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Consider this for a second. Paul saw everything in his life besides the essentials as expendables for the gospel. Everything in his life besides the essentials, like, you know, not dying from hunger and believing the gospel and all of the, all of the, the moral qualities. Everything that's not essential is expendable. I can can have it, great, I can enjoy it, or I can give it away. I'm not going to hold on to it. Everything in my life that's not necessary and essential is expendable for the gospel. I will arrange my life, in fact, to be most useful to God in the church, out of the church. There's some uh, cool examples from church history from this. Uh, One of my heroes... Man named Adoniram Judson, whose biography is on sale in the Welcome Center right now, resource table. Just saying, go there. It's like half adventure novel, all right, and half Christian biography. It's wonderful. But um, he has a crazy, crazy life 1800 version of North Korea, now called present day Myanmar. And he labors there for 20 years, doesn't get a convert until six years. He buries two wives, four or five children. It's a hard life. But 20 years into his ministry, there's a budding church. And life has kind of calmed down, and things are going really, really well. And someone from America comes and visits, uh, visits the church. And here's what he sees. I'll just read it. It's from The Golden Shore, great book. <laughs> on this very first Sunday, Malcolm, the visitor, was struck with the difference that Adoniram never noticed. That morning worship with the Burmese congregation, everyone sat. With Adoniram on a chair, the audience on mats on the floor. Long, horizontal bamboos about a foot and a half above the floor served as backrest. In prayer, the Americans knelt, but the Burmese, including Adoniram, merely leaned forward from their sitting positions and, resting on their elbows on the floor, placed their palms together. Sermon, prayer, and all were in Burmese. And what's most striking about this is that Adoniram was a congregationalist, which is, I guess, closest to maybe a Presbyterian. Uh, but their church culture, he had a stiff church culture. You know, you sat in pews. Every church building looked the same. We sung, we sing psalms only. And he goes across the ocean and you know, has these people with these powerful conversions. He could have very easily said, hey, guys, here's how we do it. We got pews. We got hymns. You got to learn English. That's the best way to worship. But he lays all that down. That's, that's wonderful. It's wonderful to see the gospel in a different culture and context, and someone adapt and lay down their rights for that. And wh- why is this, why is sacrificing for others beautiful to us? Why are we drawn to people like the guy from Harvey or Paul or Judson? Why do we Why do we love those things? I think it's because it reflects Christ. And I think what Paul is saying here is that a life that is laid down like his is a life that looks like Jesus. Consider this. Jesus, who is so familiar to us, all right, is the divine son. He's existed eternally. He deserves all the praise of all humankind. He had the praise of angels in heaven. He has all the rights that anyone can have. Innumerable rights. Rights to be worshipped, rights to be praised, rights to comfort. And he leads heaven and takes on humanity. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus was made like us in every respect without sin. The lawmaker becomes subject to his own law. The one who created becomes subject to his creation, now tainted with sin. He says of himself, the Son of Man came not to be served and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't just lay down his rights by becoming a man, but by dying. But that Christ laid down his right to fellowship with God and to be esteemed by others on the cross. He he took the sins of us. We've always insisted on our own rights. He took our sins. He laid down his life out of love. He laid his life this morning. This morning, because of the life of Jesus, you can have free access to God. You can be a son of the living God, future ruler of the universe. You can have his rights because he laid his own life. I just encourage you to let your heart be warmed by the beauty of a life laid down for others. Let what you admire. In Jesus laying down his rights and coming for the sake of others, and as you see that, as you rest and as you see that your salvation, your eternity rests on someone laying his rights down, all of a sudden, the songs we sing on Sunday are not that big of a deal, right? All of a sudden, not getting out of here with my buddies because my Southern Baptist Seminary insists that it's evil, wrongly, right? That's not a big deal. I'm happy to let that go. My right to eat mayonnaise, my right to get married, my right to wear chacos, my right to get a paycheck, okay? Those things are not a big deal in light of Jesus' life. And if you see him this morning, and you relish in the life you down for you, you can go and lay down your life for others for the sake of the gospel. God wants to take your life where it is and radically and marvelously use it in the same way he used Paul. And he will do that as you intentionally arrange your life out of love. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we just thank you uh, for your mercy that the God of heaven refused equality with God. made himself nothing that you lord jesus took on the form of a servant being made in the likeness of men and you suffered for us that we could have life we pray god that this morning that would be beautiful to us that we'd rest our souls on it and that we would go and lay down our lives for our brothers i pray that in jesus name